Cretin. <laughs> a cretin is someone who's from Crete. <laughs> yeah, a cretin exactly. is someone who's an idiot. Okay. I mean, calling, someone pro- calling someone a prophetic Cretan would be quite Brexit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it would be amazing. <laughs> go back to your fucking island. Impoverished island with a bad, shitty fucking economy. Oh, why hey, don't go- you go around the labyrinth, tit? Hey, hey, <laughs> yeah. bitch, why don't you leap over a bull? Oh, yeah. You don't like it. You don't like how laws will go back to fucking King Minos. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Jackson, chief of staff to David Davis, uh, who was actually published in the Telegraph uh, earlier this week. So definitely still in polite society on the right. Huge. Um, he, he, he went on Twitter and decided that he was having a really normal day when he saw a little boy in an EU flag blanket on the day, uh, a couple days after the, the People's March. I think March. it was the, his... It was on the day. It was day yeah. of the People's March. The on boy the couldn't... Day. He was like 12 or 13 and he was like critically yeah. ill and couldn't attend, but wanted to. Yeah. Now, look. And that was the only blanket he could afford. <laughs> look, politically ineffective, sure. But uh, this, is, this is some kid who wants to be like, hey... I wish I, we could stay in the EU. I disagree with the kid, but fine. No, right. No, These was, sick children have to be stopped. Well, it, fine, but fine. He, he's making his voice heard. And, then, and just in case terminal illness doesn't do it, we need angry oh, online yeah. middle-aged men. Yeah. So Stuart Jackson decides he, he's going to step in um, and responds, uh, what a pathetic cretin. <laughs> or rather, cretin. Cretin. Yeah. Just as I, I don't want people getting angry at me online for not correcting Riley's pronunciation anymore, <laughs> I will be doing it this episode. Well, that's, that's how we say it in North American English. We say cretin. We don't say cretin. But that does mean someone from Crete. You are aware of this in North America. <laughs> we have words that are that are Do you just hate I mean, people from Crete. This is, is why that? we're leaving. This is why we're leaving Europe. But think about that. Stuart Jackson has is such. That a- why we're leaving Europe. <laughs> Stuart Jackson has such a powerful Riley's brain. Riley's bad pronunciation is why we're leaving Europe. Yes. Like, Stuart Jackson has such a powerful brain that he just sees like a sick kid expressing a political opinion he disagrees with. And his first instinct is, yo, where are you? I'll fucking fight you. Owning the libs by owning the 10-year-olds. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's easier, at least. He's a, he's a sick 10-year-old who's like, who's sucking away state money while actually trying to undermine the state. If anything, he's a traitor. <laughs> All we need now is that 10-year-old to throw off the EU blanket and do a click flip, and then it'll be sick AF. Well, if you remember clearly, there was the photo of the boy in the EU blanket, and there was a photo of the boy in the EU blanket dabbing. So, on one oh, hand... yeah! On I one hand, you know, he uh, he offends the, the, the Brexiters by daring to, you know, brandish this EU flag. On the other... Um, I don't necessarily think he did himself any favors amongst the extremely online crowd that would otherwise defend him. They'd be like... Maybe he just no. Maybe he deserves to have his dreams dashed. Was, I'm not da- gonna say he deserves to die. That would be fucked up. But what I am saying is, like, we should leave the European we, Union. The hard Brexit because fuck dabbing. Sorry, da- dabbing so, is a really complex issue though because it's either ironic, in which case it's amazing, or it's not ironic, in which case it's terrible. Or it's difficult third, to tell. Or third, maybe the maybe this maybe this kid actually was talking sweet on Chief Keith on Instagram stories, and and Stuart Jackson was stepping in. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Jackson actually did later clarify his point that he wasn't talking to the kid. He was talking to the kid's father, which means, no, 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 I wasn't like, I wasn't, you know, like trying to like talk shit about like an ill child in hospital. I was talking shit about his family. Well, I mean, like, you know, the, there's a little kid who runs like his the communism is good videos. Have you seen those before? He's like, yeah, yeah, 11, he's like 10, 10 he's or like 11, 11 year old like yells on YouTube about how he loves communism. And it's like, but when people people get mad about those videos, they aren't like, 
Why are your parents letting you use a phone and record things to YouTube? That's unsafe. They're like, fuck you. We hate communism. It's like the idea that you're going to turn around and just be like, well, no, I'm, I'm just mad at his dad for politicizing his child. It's like, I mean, no one gets mad at Wake Make a Wish Foundation kids because they want to be football players. You know, it's like no one says like that's that's inappropriate to give them dreams. <laughs> I bet they are now though because they want to join the NFL, which is a communist league that's anti-American. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah. that, like the kid gets to be like a football player for the day, and then like all these right wing content is like, "Fuck you, the Denver Broncos suck." <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the Make a Wish kid who's just kneeling on the edge of the pitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please, his lower legs just don't work. No, fuck him. No, no he's disrespecting the troops. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's in a wheelchair, and they're yeah, like, "How dare you won't sit? he stand?" <laughs> we got to. <sighs> we need to. We need to nuke the stadium with all the Make a Wish kids in it because they won't stand for the freaking flag. I know. So I mean, it's the terrible. thing about this is, we make them into, for the EU flag. You make that into a huge joke. Like, obviously, it's a joke, but like that, there's an extent to which that's not that far off the mark with Americans, and it's just weird to see that paralleled in a way with people about the EU because, like. The, for, for whatever you know the, the americans insane nationalism notwithstanding like they still make sense like the flag of like this cogent thing for the country right but the eu like the eu flag is representative of the organization but it's nowhere near as big of a symbol in a way until like it became like the fbpe symbol and so it's like it's just so strange to watch somebody's like well you've got your way already like clearly they're just gonna shit the bed and do a, a fucked up brexit like you're gonna get what you want why are you getting mad at kids online like if someone's anus doesn't work they're gonna have diarrhea all the time like that's just the nature of these people it's because none of these people actually really care about leaving the EU. They just care about like having the narrative be their insane right wing monsters under the bed. Like the Belgians are trying to take my pension. And, like it's like that doesn't mean anything. It's all just nonsense. They just have to hate people who like want to believe that things can be nice, you know. And on that happy note, welcome back to this week's uh, free episode of TF. It's me. I'm Riley. I'm here with Milo. Uh, yeah, it's it's me. I'm here with Nate. Hello. How are you? And uh, the three-peat, Alex Hearn. What's Hello. up, Alex? I had, nothing is up. I just got back from Paris. I don't want to be home. <laughs> yeah, you're actually wearing a Breton striped shirt. <laughs> you're I've, right. got a, I've got a bag of dried onions in my bag. <laughs> Come here with a fucking bag. I plan on miming half of this episode, which is perfect <laughs> you, for the podcast. You're going to a march. <laughs> I was going to say, cycled over, but instead of a water bottle in the caddy, there's just a bottle of red wine. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. wonderful. Welcome to one of our, welcome, welcome to a, at least in spirit, drunk shouty episode. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh man. So this once again, uh we got some 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 frickin' politics happening this week, huh? Oh no, I wish we could take the politics out of politics. Yeah, you know what? I sometimes worry that maybe maybe we're just too divided. I'm concerned that tribalism might be tearing our country apart. We're too divided on our pronunciation of cretin. <laughs> it's the new political schism. <laughs> it's the new Brexit. Everyone yeah, versus Riley. Like every other political schism. <laughs> Nate is doing like a sort of libertarian party kind of like, well, maybe there's a third I, way. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There are times when I just pronounce things the way you guys pronounce things for clarity, but then there's also times when like, I just feel this deep shame. Like when I'm at home with my wife, I don't say kebab. I just can't. It's weird. But then when I want to clarify it with you, I'm like, yeah, we'll get kebabs because like that's how you say it. So it's just, yeah. it's strange. Riley, I realize the pain you've been living in for the last seven years and Thank why you. it's driven you crazy, which you but obviously are. Let's not limit are. it to the last seven years. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, although if you want to say libertarian, the way libertarians pronounce stuff is in their accent, hello is actually, am I being detained? Hmm. And then goodbye is actually just a, a Google search for age of consent laws by country. Well, they're very good at pronunciation because from a young age, they had to work out how the fuck Ayn Rand is pronounced. <laughs> They're very good. They're very good at pre- because they, they try to tip the doctor when they're born. <laughs> well, oh, man. Anyway, uh, so I wanted to sort of dive 
do I did I want to dive right in? We really uh, we really wasted a lot of time. <laughs> I mean, up we, top. Did, we did dive we did. right in, and that yeah. was struggling for breath at the surface. We've never again. we've never mm. did we've never dove in. Um, but before we get into the content, as you all know, um, we've got a live show later today. So maybe there are tickets left. Let's find out. Later today in the future. Yes, later today in the future. If you're uh, listening to this, later today. If it's us, not today. <laughs> As I wipe the sweat from my forehead, because for a second there, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Surprise, bitch. <laughs> so if it's, if it's Tuesday, come on out to the Secford and you can see all of this fun stuff happen in person. Uh, and also, if you want to hear more of us, you can, of course, subscribe to our Patreon where we're going to have some more of our more silly episodes up where we don't do serious analysis of the news, breaking events, and other lighthearted things like a parrot who's just learned to squawk the Hezbollah anthem. Exactly. The live show is for those people who are like, geez, this podcast is great. I'd love to hear an unedited version. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I really want to do is value Nate's contributions to the podcast more. Yeah. How, how can I do? Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hear a version with all of the chaff left in. <laughs> But I, I think what we need actually for the live shows, we need to give Nate an air horn so he can edit <laughs> us on stage. <laughs> I can, I mean, I, I, in a way, like just wearing a lab coat and holding a clipboard and writing down, like, and not even say anything in the live mm. show, just be like, mm, that's libel. That's a, <laughs> that's a libel. Defamation. You better believe that's a libel. <laughs> um, so I wanted to uh, first talk about um, Tommy Robinson, Stephen Yaxley Lennon, uh, the sort of the bad smell haunting British politics that simply won't go away and seems to like be single-handedly keeping the hair gel industry afloat in this country. <laughs> um, and he recently was, because he keeps basically, uh, Tommy Robinson or Stephen Yaxley Lennon uh, keeps going to jail for being really stupid and breaking laws that he's, and breaking obvious laws, like, you know, going in to make Instagram videos in courtrooms about how, you know, the the, George Soros is trying to replace everybody with Pakistani rape gangs. Because as we all know, in court, it's illegal to use the dog filter. <laughs> That's actually the rule they got him on. So Tommy Robinson knows that actually the way to own Muslims is by filming them with the dog filter, because that's haram. <laughs> Being a dog well, is I mean, haram. I, I think that you do also have to, to put in something here, which is, uh, this is obviously open for discussion as we discuss things in politics. But Tommy Robinson's prominence is also because um, British media cannot seem to stop falling all over themselves. I'm like, well, does he have a point that racism is good? Like, it's absolutely a case of them enabling and them framing this by putting him on the goddamn news all the time. Yeah. Like, if they didn't want, if they wanted Tommy Robinson's politics, if they found it as distasteful as they, as they claim it to be, they wouldn't have, you know, what was it? Was it was a question? No, it wasn't question time. What was the BBC Sky program? News. There was, it was most recent one was Sky News. Newsnight. Newsnight, Newsnight yeah. where they had the photo of him fucking where like duct tape on his mouth like is he being silenced are we is this liberals in their culture of politics and correctness like it's it's basically they found a way to make him into a martyr and thus allow him if I'm not mistaken to buy a home in cash very recently for a lot of money <laughs> well, I mean, he has to buy a home in cash because he's a fucking mortgage fraud <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing like it's this is people say he is just like they say that uh, Donald Trump is the guy who has sacrificed his good and plush life to fight for the dignity of America. They're like, um, and is not just like, you know, a, a, like, like an alleged sex offender and complete, like just, just a New York real estate huckster 
And it's like, no, he's a crusader for truth and justice. The same thing about Tommy Robinson. He's a, I believe, convicted mortgage fraudster who's just found a new grift. Well, yeah, his hey, first crime. Tommy, if you're having trouble getting a mortgage, why don't you consider Islamic finance? <laughs> <laughs> it's helped a lot of people. I also love that. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Tommy Robinson's first criminal conviction came from, well, he first he was he was punching his girlfriend in the street and then a cop tried to stop him. So he punched the cop instead. And it's like. This is the guy. I mean, alpha. brain trust. That's alpha is what well, that yeah, is. Wait, wait, it just blows my mind because it's like if it weren't for a particularly, particularly virulent strain of reactionary politics, like nobody would associate with him. So it, it seems to me like in a way, all the respectable news figures are like, well, we know we don't like the racism. We just we're worried about the tone of discussion in this country. It's like, yeah, yeah. But if this was any other figure that wasn't espousing right wing fucking reactionary politics, you would find a way to disassociate yourself from him because he literally has done all these, you know, these, these things that you would eliminate someone from any kind of position of influence otherwise. Yeah. I, I, what I take from that story is that Tommy Robinson is actually a deeply chivalrous man and he will only resort to punching women when there are no available men. And as, <laughs> as soon as an appropriate man arrived, he immediately switched. Fuck's sake. Actually, he's doing radical praxis by being anti-police. It's like that part of, it's actually quite similar to Islamic theology, that bit, you know, where you can, you can eat pork if otherwise you would starve to death. It's a similar thing like if there's no one else to punch yeah i'm not saying that it is advocates punching women in case you could, in case you're confusingly going to interpret that no, it's, it's we just got a new patreon subscriber it's uh s yaxley lennon <laughs> but it was quite fun like i think this protest was the thing that really left the mainstream reverting to their original feeling about tommy uh robinson which is that he is you know a huge cunt because you got things like uh the press association reporter who who was uh, outside uh, outside the court on the day of this uh, this rally, and press association are, are not known for you know submitting vibrant, colourful reports. But they're, <laughs> they're, they're it's, I mean, like it's not the point. That's not why they're there. But the reporter uh, um, this week wrote uh, a supporter wearing a union flag suit said, and you know, like, uh, do you really it's have either, to interview it's either those Tommy people? Robinson supporter or someone on a stag do? <laughs> it's weird how much overlap there is. I have come here to support Tommy because there's so many injustices going on in the world today. I've learned so many things in the last two years, such as the killings of anyone that's not of the Islamic faith. A passing cyclist said, fascist. <laughs> Good a job, group, reporter. A group of men wearing white power morph suits. <laughs> <laughs> but here, here's the here's the interesting thing, though, um, is that is that the I'd say the, the the legitimization of of the ideas pushed by Tommy Robinson, which again for the American subscribers, uh, the ideas pushed by Tommy Robinson is that his his key grift is he's saying that there are organized gangs of Pakistani men who are raping white girls up and down the country and the problem is in their culture it's a problem of them being asian and their asianness is causing them to rape people That's and, the, and yeah. the second order thing is that no one will report on yeah, this no one's because no one will do anything about it, it yeah. because of political correctness precisely yeah. Yeah. so for, so for context here in the uk he's a like really worryingly popular weirdo whereas in the us he would be a cabinet member <laughs> <laughs> well no in the us because the thing about about tommy robinson is like the other thing about him is he's like a football hooligan. He's one of the lads. Whereas he's part of the Democratic Football Lads Alliance. <laughs> I think he might be. Um, or the best named organization of all time. The, the thing is, like, if he was in the US, he would be like Tom Cotton, uh, who would be, who's like a birthday cake eating Puritan psychopath who'd like go and have a fun little uh, snowball fight with Cory Booker. Like he wouldn't be a fucking 
drunk punchy psychopath. Well, see, I would make the argument that actually he would be, Steve Bannon and Tommy Robinson aren't that different except Steve Bannon had has sort of a lot of shirts. Burn, he wears more shirts and he's he's burnished his credentials with all the sort of elite institutions that make liberals sweaty in America. Like how can how can Steve Bannon be a dumbass? I mean, have you seen his writing? He's a fucking moron. But how can he be a dumbass? He went to Harvard and he worked at Gor- he, Goldman Sachs. He and read he was, the Wikipedia page for the prince. And he was he was yeah. in the navy. He was a navy officer. So, he's got those credentials, but in a way like like the kind of a canny sort of ability to manipulate people to figure out the pressure points, which is obviously a kind of intelligence. Obviously, Bannon's got that. Robinson's got that. But Tommy Robinson is is a fucking idiot. So is Steve Bannon. But Steve Bannon is seen as like this terrifying Svengali, whereas Tommy Robinson is like, like you said, kind of a a street hooligan. And I really just do think that it's, it's more indicative of the fact that Tommy Robinson's politics isn't that different than the politics of like right-wing commentators. Rod Little and Tommy Robinson could probably find a fuckload to agree upon. They probably would have a hard time finding something to not agree on, but because Rod, Rod Little is ensconced in sort of respectability, there's a huge gulf between them. Whereas in the United States, I think that, um, well, I, or I guess my comparison there is more that in the US, somebody like Steve Bannon, who's basically the same, you know, has has sort of figured that out and has gotten those credentials. And I can't think of a figure in the US that would be, com- I mean, like maybe Richard Spencer? Joe the Plumber? Yeah, because yeah. suspe- Richard, Richard Spencer still is. Richard Spencer well went to the University of Chicago. Like he has similar hair. That's it. Yeah, he has the he has the uh, the credentials too. I'm trying to think of somebody who like is sort of uncredentialed in the U.S. but also is like a terrifyingly popular figure kind of thing. And I, I'm not coming up with any. Joey's World Tour. <laughs> Fuck you go too deep in the meme knowledge, Riley. Bi- I just don't know. No, he's a big fat guy who eats the twenty dollar fill up from KFC and then like talks about how he respects his the cops and fellow food bloggers while like drying the grease off of his face with a beach towel. Tommy Robinson is I like wash myself with a rag on a stick. He's just dark, villainous young King Dave, basically. <laughs> so the but the inter- the people making Tommy Robinson's ideas respectable are the liberals who want to who are now agonizing about whether or not he's being silenced. Um, last week, a panel of, uh, of like sort of journalists and public commentators all sat on a panel, is rising ethnic diversity a threat to the West? And so at this event, co-sponsored by the Academy of Ideas and Unheard, a panel of leading academics, writers, and thinkers will debate whether immigration and rising ethnic diversity really do challenge liberal democracy. If so, in what way and how democracies in the quote, moderate middle might respond in the coming years. I'm so unused to hearing the Cal website actually read out with its real name that I forgot that it was called Unheard. I, a, I'd never realized that is a, a pun. And B, like I see the letters U-N-H-E-R-D. And when I read that out loud, I read it as the Cal you website. You have a brain Google Chrome extension. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. just automatically switches it. So I, I, it took me a while to place what you were actually talking about there. I'm broken. Wait, hang on a minute. There's a website called the Cal. Sorry, the cow I'm, website. I'm behind. Unheard. I mean, no, I get, I get yeah. the pun. Sorry, I'm, I'm, more, I'm, going, I'm way more basic than that. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't know about this. It's website. referred to as the cow website. It's oh, basically okay. like, um, it's a, ver- you know, the, the Economist is everything goes back to liberty. The Financial Times is everything goes back to markets. Uh-huh. Um, unheard is everything goes back to community. It basically says the solution to every problem is we've lost community. There's too much social media. It's basically it's saying we're going to have a, a liberal debate of ideas, but it always ends up with the conservative response as the natural one. It is also a website uh. which uh, all of its iconography is based around a visual metaphor that makes no sense, which is that the cow, like literally they had they had this as a, as a paragraph on their about page for mm-hmm. about a week before they took it down because they were too embarrassed by it, which is they they based their iconography around the fact that the cow is the animal happiest to go alone. It's not content to stand out in the, to be part of the crowd. It wants to stand out and be unique. And it's like, that's 
That's really not what cows do. Cows work. It's, cows it's the opposite. Heard. They heard. That, that's that's kind of the thing about cows. <laughs> to really to really form a good opinion, you have to mull over all the ideas in a long process using four stomachs. <laughs> I'm also chewing them many times. Digest your racism, regurgitate it. Digest it in a second stomach, regurgitate it, and then feed it to the children through your teats, and, and then, then shit it out, and it's communalism. And then mm. it comes out as Sajid Javid responding to the um the out the sort of conclusion of the trial as these sick Asian pedophiles will have no space in our society. There will be no no go areas of inquiry. So what happens yeah. is Tommy Robinson does a street protest about how he's being silenced. It gets chewed through the four stomachs of like David Aronovich and the liberal commentariat trying to like be the bulwark against lies with their logic facts and how dare you sirring. And then it gets shit out the home secretary's Twitter account as basically legitimating Tommy Robinson's ideas. You could say it's like money laundering, but it is just like repeated digesting and cow shitting. Also, why is everything in British politics come back to a weird animal metaphor? I swear <laughs> to God, there's just so much of it. You, you and I have had this conversation over yeah. and over again, Riley, about the weird, the, the Twitter, the, 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 a ran in Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a heron in Oxfordshire or something like that. Yeah. Strange blogs. The centrist musk ox. Yeah, it's the strange <laughs> conservative yeah. blogs that always seem to involve animals that they do in character. But like, it's just, that's just, I feel like that's the kind of thing that would never survive focus grouping in a, <laughs> in a sane political environment. But Britain's just different. Can it's we not like, go back to a simpler time when our prime minister it was just fucking a pig in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's, this, is, this is the issue. The main sort of digestive operation in the cow stomach that is our media. You're doing the metaphors again, Riley. You've become English. Stop. Yes. Is, um, I've been here for so long. Give me a break. Um, but the main operation is that, there, that these sort of relatively prominent liberals uh, and whether it's this or whether it's the New York Times publishing like, well, maybe uh, maybe all these people that pissed off Trump had it coming or whatever. Again, they published that article. Here's what everyone did to piss off Trump. That's why they all got bombs. And it's like there is that they keep thinking that if they just air the neutral facts, capital T, capital F, the facts that the public will sort of weigh them up rationally and discard them. Right. And that that's how we're going to fix it is just with a full court facts press. Which is hilarious because these same people also <clears throat> think that the public are made up of the dum dums who who can't sort through facts, and that's how Brexit happened. <laughs> like, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a weird kind of selective populism, isn't it? It's like the people need to know all the facts if it's racism, but if it's making a decision that's going to affect my ability to you know own a second home in Portugal, they can't be trusted with a decision. <laughs> it's like nobody gets to know what I do with that second home in Portugal. That's my business. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I disagree with the uh, diagnosis. I think that actually what we're getting with Tommy Robinson in particular is, and you know, it, it always comes back to it, is the fault of tech. Tommy Robinson had and has had a second wave of his career thanks to the ability of uh, Facebook live streams and YouTube videos to grow his audience in America. And, you know, he's not, he's not the first British extremist who's got an American audience, but the earlier British extremists brought him into the fold rejuvenated him. And that's why when he, I mean, firstly, that's why he gets arrested for contempt of court in the first place. Like he was broadcasting to his American audience outside court and breaking British law. Most people in Britain got that, but none of his American audience do. And like, frankly, even once the facts of the case are explained to an American audience, they still reject it because that concept of contempt of court doesn't exist in America. And so it's, it's kind of hard. Like it, 
uh, to an American eye, that actually is censorious. Even if even if you understand mm. the facts of the case, that's still censorious. And yeah. in a way, it's correct. It is censorship. It's just fucking valid, valuable censorship to ensure you have a fair trial. I, I love it too when Americans get mad about something like this. And be like, what about his First Amendment rights? And it's like, no. Oh my god, no. The best part, the best, the best one was the uh, someone rewrote the lyrics to Hallelujah to uh, and was handing out flyers outside the High Court. Uh, with libertarian Jeff Buckley yeah, with the, the uh, chorus this is how they do ya how they do ya how they do ya this is how they do ya I saw that yes, yes but that's just like there is there is 15 minutes of this episode alone on the one line in it that basically attributed Tommy Robinson's uh, failure to be treated fairly on the absence of the fifth amendment which how how does any British person even know what the fifth amendment is and like, also the fifth amendment up. is like the most american thing like no other legal system has something even similar he hasn't testified at yeah, all he's not been, uh, he's not been asked himself. to incriminate himself like what <laughs> yeah. if anything he, he hasn't has incriminated himself <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone the law says i'm not allowed to do this right now but live <laughs> like, on video i'm breaking the, the law they really recommend you plead the fifth now tommy and the, shut yeah. the live stream <laughs> yeah the fifth amendment is the right to shut the fuck up a right which tommy robinson has never even tried to exercise you have the right to remain silent i Violate that right. <laughs> I love how I love how America is now doing for like nutcases what it was once doing for the Beatles and just offering them a much bigger audience <laughs> over the fu- like it's incredible how like it's just to a certain audience in America you can just like play clips from Blade Runner twenty forty nine where this is what London looks like now <laughs> thanks to the Muslimics and they're like God we must do something about this <laughs> no everyone's I mean, Ryan Gosling <laughs> dude I mean I can't even begin to describe it you know so I I when I shared with with friends on Facebook I don't post on Facebook very often, but I did post to be like, okay, I live in the United Kingdom now. Like my wife and I have moved and I got both posts and messages from guys that I was in the army with who were like, just be careful of those no-go zones. And I'm just like, I don't want to get in the fucking argument with it. <laughs> but I was like, what, what I'm thinking to myself, like what no-go zones? Cause if you look at these fucking lunatics maps, they're like, well, whopping no-go zone. Watney Market, no go zone. Shadwell, no go zone. What big is a no go zone? Have you seen house prices there recently? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you're right, you're right. Riverside pubs. Like it's just literally Whitechapel, but all of Whitechapel yeah. is a no go zone. It's, it's inter- like it's as we're. Have you heard about these marauding rippers? <laughs> it's, it's interesting <laughs> how they changed the name of the Captain Kid to the Caliph Kid. I mean, I just and so it's just one of those things where we had this argument on my show before as well that like there's no point in going to like to Thanksgiving and, and arguing with your Facebook. On because there's no point in trying to say here's objective fact and that's I think coming back to the root of this problem you're describing Riley and, what, and Alex you were, you were touching on this too is that for one it doesn't matter if you have what's deemed objective fact because they're just going to attack the validity of the source and for another you can't compete like your sort of scrutinizing of things based on news news sources that you trust that you know you, you could say are, are at least in some capacity regulated you know like whether it's whether it's here in the U- in the UK, where if I'm not mistaken, there is sort of like a press regulation authority. No, so there's well, not. There's not, not Ofcom, for, but that's it. Uh, yeah, there's uh, press, uh, print media are not regulated. Online media are not regulated. So what, what, I guess I'm asking because, and this is we can cut this if we need to. Like, there's there is an, a thing where people have correct me if I'm wrong. Like where a story's been forced to be retracted or they've had to make a correction like because a bot, I don't know what the body There's is. It's the IPCC, some, right? Uh, Ipso. Ipso. Uh, Ipso is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. some papers are voluntarily signed up to. Got it, okay. So it's not mandatory, but... My, my employer is not signed up to yeah. Ipso, so... Yeah, with the company hat on. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> well, I'm just because the, the point I'm making here is that it, that doesn't matter whether or not there's any kind of authority that's invested in, in saying that this, you know, that, that these these this reporting is held to any kind of standard. People aren't going to believe it. And mm. then when you have a disinformation platform like Facebook that's so pervasive, um, it in a way it's like 
to the average person, it's going to seem far more authoritative when you've got constant live stream videos and insane disinformation coming. Yeah, well, at you. I mean that's the thing. Like a live stream is a spectacularly convincing format because it, you know, it's not edited, it's not faked. Tom, everything on Tommy Robinson's live stream was first order true. He really was there. He really was saying that stuff. Mm. And actually, the the you know the problem with telling this narrative to Americans is that broadly what he was saying wasn't untrue on it because what he was saying were the facts of the case. He just wasn't fucking allowed to say them at that point. Like, yeah. it, you know, it was under contempt of court. It was under subject. It was sort like, of an embargo, wasn't it? Like, he wasn't allowed to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. like, and and so that that's what that's what makes this particular thing so fertile for what then happened, which is mm-hmm. the entirety of the American right coming up and accusing him of being arrested by people who didn't want him to speak so, the truth. I've actually found it's um surprisingly enough the person who wrote the uh Tommy Robinson song is Owen Benjamin, <laughs> the like the only conservative comedian who is like routinely stop there. <laughs> you no, know, there are there are three there are three conservative comedians. It's Andrew Lawrence as well. No, there are three conservative comedians in the states and you can rank them on how frequently they get and just relentlessly embarrass themselves online. Baked Alaska is tier 1. Mm-hmm. Stephen Crowder is tier two. The guy who, like puts on a like goes around puts on a dress and is like I'm trans now. Uh, so I try and own trans people somehow. I want I want to I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Crowder, Alex. But I, I I have yeah. seen the shots of him doing exactly that. Have, yeah. you, have you seen this though? No. Stephen Crowder trying to do his shtick, getting punched in the face. Oh, by, an by American, the union guy. By yes, a union I guy who's an American that. hero. Yeah. So oh, wow. when you talk about, yes, uh, right wing comedians, invariably not enough of this happens, in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> that said, I mean, like, OK, I'm not advocating for violence against comedians. But if you go out and film a stupid <laughs> Vox Pop video, we're trying to be a dumbass. Then, like, all bets are off. Yeah. Well, this is just and then <laughs> someone is both a comedian and with you films dumbass yes, Vox Pop. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm preparing for that inevitable punch. My <laughs> I know it's going to happen. <laughs> it's a tier one operator. Oh, tier yeah. One camera operator. That's why I only eat stealth fries. No. So it's there are three. There, uh, there is Baked Alaska, who just routinely gets owned, all, who got, who's gotten owned off the internet just by just people, re- his own fans relentlessly disrespecting him. There is uh, Steven Crowder, who tries to like, you know, who basically just, he's, he's like a lie down in a dumpster guy. And then there's Owen Benjamin, one of the most banned people in the world. Are you going to sing the song, Riley? Um, I don't, I, it's, it's. Here's the thing. I would sing the song, but it's written in such a way that it doesn't scan. <laughs> scan it dun, dun, da, 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 there dun, was dun, a time da, 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 da. the press let you know who's really coming to your shores, but now they don't tell you the story ever true. Yeah. <laughs> That's so bad. That's so terrible. That was worse than I was expecting. Go, and my expectations go. were low. Come on, let me get some let's okay. go. The state tries to say Tommy has racial hate, but really it's fear of the caliphate. And the state says, no, take it. This is how we rule ya. That doesn't fucking scan at all. It doesn't. It doesn't you guys harmonizing right on places. caliphate was amazing. Like, you just warmed my heart. Uh, uh, that's that. That's what Amer- A. That's what Americans believe. B. That's what Americans believe about songwriting. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. It, it's. And and see, I mean, he has effectively, in defense of your initial statement, rewritten the tune significantly <laughs> by his a terrible attempt to write lyrics to fit the rhythm. Oh yeah, it's now thirteen eight time. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got the whole dactyl sponde thing going on, <laughs> right? So it's that the, that that's his idea is that like the British state is so politically correct and has been has been taken over by like people who are fans of the Frankfurt School mm. that they're intentionally self-destructing 
and trying to turn themselves into a caliphate. And then the thing, if the fact that we don't have the Fifth Amendment means that we don't have our rights protected. And that's the, and let's go back. Well, let's go back to the real target of this segment because it's not Tommy Robinson because Tommy gonna Tommy, but. It's the people who like, like, it's the liberal journalists who are constantly trying to have their how dare you sir moment, who are constantly mm. saying, I'm going to be the one who owns Tommy Robinson with facts. I'm going to be the at long last have, you know, decency and I'll be remembered as the guy. Can I point something out about that really quickly too? The whole at long last have, you know, decency thing like that didn't end Joseph McCarthy's career. Yeah, exactly. Like his career went on for a little while and his career was his liver and fucking alcohol. He was a complete boozer and he, he literally died of cirrhosis. But like he wasn't he he didn't he got censured by the Senate. But like he still had influence in politics. He didn't just, you know, he wasn't like, I've been owned. And he just turned into a puff of smoke. Like, and and they, they seem to believe that that's going to happen. And it just it's not. But also, like, there's an incredibly large difference between destroying someone in that way because the source of their power was people's fear to speak up to them and destroying someone in that way when the source of their power is fundamentally irrelevant to you because they've got a separate power base. Like, you can just about build a, a narrative where, yeah, Joe McCarthy was kind of an empress had uh, empress new clothes type of thing. Like he was awful, but no one felt like they were empowered to say that, and that meant that there was no ability to build a coalition against him because everyone was acting individually and was too afraid to organize. Like, so yeah, big speak up, speak out. That's not true with Tommy Robinson. Like people, the the big iconography in Britain for that is uh, Nick Griffin on Question Time, where the narrative that the that the liberal left hold is that Nick Griffin went on Question Time. And all of the audience at Question Time told him he was a racist and the BNP died. And it's kind of, the, that, that's not true. Like Nick Griffin went on Question Time as the BNP was on a downward slope. The BNP continued on its downward slope. UKIP got their biggest electoral success ever and we left the EU. Like that's the, that's the narrative. Yeah. And now UKIP is like, can we let Tommy Robinson be a member yeah. even though he was a BNP member? It's like, yeah. yeah. But then, but then amazingly, uh, fucking Nick Griffin went on to have a short-lived second career as, as a YouTube chef. <laughs> do, we, do we remember the, the fucking the Nick Griffin cooking channel on YouTube? I do not. Holy fucking oh, shit. Oh, fuck, yes. Because that was, that was the thing that, amongst other things, got sued by Marmite, wasn't it? <laughs> this is a whole other layer to this. This, this was in love with the marmites on top. As like uh, the fucking BNP got sued by Marmite because the BNP tried to adopt Marmite's "love it or hate it" slogan and claim that they were the Marmite of political parties. And Unilever were like, "Fuck off, <laughs> no, love it or hate it." And, Black and stuff, we hate it because it was a really open and shut legal case. Oh wow! I mean, but just, just just briefly reminiscing about the Nick Griffin cooking channel. The premise of it was to show BNP supporters how to cook balanced, healthy meals on like a tight budget. <laughs> I've only oh ever God. seen one episode, but it was so fucking good. Where he's cooking like a kind of um like a like half curry, half stew type thing, which sort of seems like it's fine. He's wearing a Help for Heroes polo shirt, which I really enjoy. And um, he's going through, and at one point he starts talking about curried spices. And then he just goes to a standard where he's like, actually, the first recipe for curry was discovered in the UK in like the 1500s. So whenever people tell you that we need Indian immigrants <laughs> to get curry, that's actually a lie. <laughs> like, he has to bring the racism even into the cooking. Well, Redefining like the- curry is they put some pepper in a stew. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You can always tell when you can always tell when cookies are made with love. You can always tell when a stew is made with racism. Exactly. Yeah. Oh boy. Do um, we need Indians to make Edwina curry? No. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, that's you. You don't defeat like ideas like Tommy Robinson's by inviting him on like on Sky News just so he can bro- rebroadcast the unedited version to his audience. You don't debate his ideas; you marginalize them. The, the best way to defeat Tommy Robinson is a twenty-four hour rolling news channel where Tommy Robinson is on it twenty-four hours a day, and a rotating succession of liberal uh, commentators <laughs> come on and argue with him. Surely, you know, that on. way he's being owned twenty-four hours a day. How can that do anything but harm his profile? Yeah. Right? What was it, it that you, Riley? You said on Twitter not that long ago. We're like the way to defeat Steve Bannon is a twenty-four hour live stream of Steve Bannon, so everyone can be like, "Wow, he's racist and bad. No, I don't the, like him." That, well, we no, it's that it's that. The way to defeat Steve Bannon is that we need to install a telescreen in everyone's house that has to be on 24 hours a day where Steve Bannon can promulgate his ideas and people can see how bad they are. Yeah. Well, I thought the way for Steve Bannon, the way to defeat Steve Bannon was just to wait for gout to take his natural course. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually make sure that he's out in sunlight. That'll do it. <laughs> Steve Bannon has been working way harder to defeat Steve Bannon than anyone ever will. He does look a bit like- Did anyone see that there was someone who was offering to make- I can't remember where I saw this. There was someone who was offering to make- They were saying out of one turkey, they can make two turkey teddy bears. It's like great for your oh, kids fuck, on Christmas yes, no, Day. Yeah. And they were the most hellish looking things, but they looked like Steve Bannon. Like- <laughs> see, this is- I think this is really how you defeat these people, is like- is instead of taking them seriously and debating their ideas academically, you basically need to always remind them that these are like hideous trolls or like Lego Lego man looking fascists who are a combination of like inept and just really fucking stupid. So something that I wanted to ask and just to like reframe this is also that invariably when these sorts of things are happening, it seems to me that like the forum in which the debate, the debate is taking place is uh, is somewhat skewed. Like the idea that, okay, we'll put them in front of question time, but if, if the question time audience is a bunch of fucking angry dudes who love Tommy Robinson, then like that doesn't necessarily accomplish that. That actually in a way turns it and makes it seem as though it's more of a, it, there's more organic support yeah, for this. Yeah, it validates them. Exactly. So, yeah, and, and, I, have a, I have a question for uh, for Tommy Robinson. Yeah, um, so what's the best way to defend yourself from a Muslim attack? <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, uh, in the no-go zone in my neighborhood, you have to make yourself look really big. <laughs> I just, I just, I guess more than anything else, I, I bring that up because um, recently I've seen it put forth that a success story, in a way, uh, of no platforming and showing that it, it, the validity of this approach is Milo Yiannopoulos. And the fact that like Milo finally, not good Milo, bad Milo, finally, dark Milo, dark, dark dark Milo, Milo finally did just, he, he managed to offend a critical mass of people to the point that like, yeah, fuck this guy. We don't want to hear from him anymore. And like, although he may have a resurgence of success in the one country racist enough to accept him, Australia, he, he has been in a many ways shut out. He's been pretty much destroyed. Yeah, he yeah. Still doesn't have the career anymore. His book fucking sucks. His book didn't say, if I'm not mistaken, his sold book got, 52 copies to people dunking on it on podcasts. So, so one of the things though, that, that I do want to bring up and, and kind of pivot to you, maybe getting a chance to talk on this, Alex is we're talking about Facebook as this disinformation platform. Mm. And at the same time, in these, these recent last two weeks, we've also heard that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from a court case, from, from a... From a mm. Unsealed court documents, yeah. yeah Basically that, revealing that Facebook massively inflated its video views. Um, that In a way, the, the, the Facebook pivot to video as Facebook a means of... Lied? Facebook lied? Facebook lied. Uh, was a huge... And, and, and I guess the reason I want to bring this up here is because uh, as we're not aspiring pivot to video people, we, we liked our dumb irony <laughs> podcast. But a lot of people, a lot of people have had to either become video editors, video producers, or lose their jobs. Yeah. in journalism. I mean, it's like Facebook lied. This is one of those things where I, I, I uh, the, cur- the the narrative of the last week isn't quite true, but is not wrong enough to 
bother refuting. Like Facebook lied about their video views. Uh, there, there were there are two things. One that we knew about a couple of years back, which is basically that Facebook fucked up maths. Uh, because how did they fuck up that that they, particular math? Yeah, so also, that, wait, I thought they were a genius company that was know, full right? of like maths you know. was just talking to their girlfriends. They fucked him up. <laughs> Facebook counts a video view as a video that's watched for over three seconds. Facebook counts total <laughs> love length. to jack it to Facebook videos for exactly three seconds. Right? But like, how fucked up is the media already? Like, you can see that the media ecosystem is incredibly fucked mm. up. But at least they do it that way, so that if you're scrolling through the feed and something plays for a tenth of a second, it doesn't count as a video view. Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. a reasonable choice to make when reporting this to advertisers. And all of this is only about advertisers. It's not how it's billed. It's just the stats that are reported. Facebook also report to advertisers the total length of the videos that is that were watched, and that includes everything, no matter how long the view. Mm-hmm. And Facebook reports average average watch. And the problem that Facebook had is to report the average length of video watched. They divided the total length by the reported number of views, but they reported the to- the reported number of views of the views over three seconds. So they artificially increased the average watch time because they were telling people that the average watch time was never lower than three seconds, which is not uh. technically what average means. And so that, that massively inflated, in some cases, by something like uh, 4,600%, if people were not watching a video for very long and they were repeatedly scrolling past it, inflated the counts. Facebook apologized for that and found it. This lawsuit is over a second thing that they found, which uh, wasn't related to the fucking maths error, which also inflated views by uh, about 80%, and which Facebook found and didn't tell anyone about for nine months. They fixed it, but they didn't reveal they'd fixed it. So Facebook lied, and advertisers thought the videos were being watched for a long time. That's probably not why the pivot to video happened, although the pivot to video did happen because Facebook lied and it did happen around the same time. The pivot to video happened mm-hmm. because not because advertisers and certainly not because uh, public media institutions were lied to about how many people were watching their videos. The problem was they were told the truth about how many people were watching their videos, which was a fuckload. Facebook changed its algorithm to artificially promote video everywhere yeah, for sure. and everyone was watching video. The lie was Facebook said this will last. Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg was basically doing media tours going, we think in the in the future, in the next 10 years, that no one's going to read text on Facebook. We think video is the future. We think the video connect. And basically what- Your Facebook aunt will just be recording live streams of yeah, what she right, thinks about the truth. Which is, what, which is what it was for a long time. That's, you know, media organizations were basically being told by Mark Zuckerberg, if you don't make video, your stuff will not be on Facebook. And so everyone switched to video. And the problem was, about nine months later, Facebook went, uh, actually, no, we've changed our mind. And so everyone got fired again. And it, Reading you know, is for squares. <laughs> like the next thing that Facebook did was they just said, media is for squares. We're going to block all news and it's just going to be about meaningful connections with your friends and family. Yeah, it's the just going to people on Facebook. It's just going oh. to be minion memes about how white genocide is really <laughs> happening. Yeah. It's going it's to be your aunt writing about how she's read about this Tommy Robinson guy in the UK. And like she's worried that a guy with a tan is going to move in and do terrorism. Even worse, it's going to be Tommy Robinson, who is not a media organization and is thus not deprioritized by this. So Tommy Robinson, you know, his stuff from a personal page, which is put up, that that remains quite heavily prioritized because, you know, he's a friend on Facebook. He's not a media organization. So the algorithm doesn't penalize it. Your it friend, happy birthday Tommy. To you. You know, yeah. you know, I mean, to I, be fair, I, I think I, the minions are the most trustworthy people on white genocide because, you know, they're, they're yellow. They have no skin in the game. Why would they lie? Why would they lie? I do like the idea, though, that, uh, that because when you get down to it, is is felonious groove for white genocide or against white genocide? I mean, because he wants he wants to commit crimes. He wants to steal the moon. So like killing all the white people is a bigger crime than stealing the moon in a way. But at the same time, it's like the minions do see so cuddly. 
so I will, I will say, uh, I used to work in corporate communications and I, I noticed this when Facebook changed its algorithm because there was a period of time in which even a text update or something with just a static image did quite well if you timed it correctly mm. uh, in terms of when it was published. And then when they, they reorganized how things, how things published, how, th- how things displayed, um, all of a sudden it really didn't matter. And video did seem like it was getting, if I posted up, no matter if I use my old tricks, a post that I did for a client would, um, would would do quite well, but then when it changed, it would do very poorly. Mm-hmm. Even if I if I did it the exact same way as before, whereas when I ran a video, it did quite well always. I, 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 the numbers would be incredible. So there was a certain kind of like f- you know feedback loop there. Yeah. That if you're if you're someone who's putting together analytics for your media organization, you know for a client whomever, you're seeing that video is doing better than text. It makes sense why you would go that way. But I mean, for for one thing, I'd say video is so much more laborious to create, to produce, to make, and to watch. And Honestly. to watch, yeah, exactly. Watch. It's it's exhausting. You do anything else. You- Although, I mean, the, be- the best thing was like all of those media economics combined to mean that by the end of this period, Facebook was full of essentially text slideshows. Mo- most Facebook, really, like remember, most yeah. Facebook videos at the end of this period were B-roll with text written over the top and people would just read an article presented to them slowly. Well, it has to be oh, able yeah, to watch on silent which were just one. like videos of static oh, image. God, with of triangles me- on yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Or like B- Business Insider doing the same like loop of the this is the most expensive sandwich yeah. in the world and like thank you like that's the thing it's like is it every is there's this hue and cry of, oh tribalism is dividing us people don't have access to enough of the facts but like because of the just dunderheads who like ride buses like ride company owned buses and sort of just decide, hey, video's new. Let's do that. Why not? Let's Hang give on, it which a go. group of the Dunderheads? There's like the Proud Boys. <laughs> <laughs> but something else I, t- I, I think that makes sense is that um, in the aftermath of Trump's election and in the aftermath of people really taking Facebook to task for uh, for disinformation, for everything, but specifically for like the, the one that, at least from an American's perspective, the one that really got, got people enraged was like, wait a minute, there's teens in Macedonia making stories about Trump, like the Pope loving Trump, and that's making them thousands of dollars each month because they're sharing it on Facebook. Because as I, if I remember correctly, the, the idea was that they set up a Google AdSense account yeah, yeah, yeah. and they created a fake news page and they, they, or they would do just dumb, the dumbest stories they could think of. And they would then, you know, run banner ads on that. They would make money off that because they, they, they were getting massive shares on yeah, Facebook. Cause it turns out it's easier to write a viral news story if you don't have to actually have viral news. Yeah. Like yeah, it, 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 <laughs> truth it, makes it really hard and, to write and, interesting news. And so face Facebook, cause I've noticed this from when we run promos for this show. If I run a link to like, for example, our Podbean, or I run a link to iTunes, it does very poorly. And for other for my other shows too, same thing. Whereas if I if I host a video on Facebook, I'm most likely going to get like I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever needs to happen to convince Facebook that more people, even if they've signed up to the feed, more people deserve to see this. Stop it, censoring our podcast, Zuckerberg. Yeah. And when I run a link to magapillburnpakistan.com, <laughs> does extremely well. The best thing is like this was completely Facebook shooting their balls off for another reason as well, because Facebook is moderately good at moderating text and image content and fucking awful at moderating video because it's really hard to use AI to moderate video. For sure. You have to like recognize the images, recognize the spoken stuff. Like that's hard to do. It's hard enough to do images. So just as they were entering this period where suddenly Facebook's moderation practices and Facebook's ability to clamp down on misinformation was becoming a political issue, Facebook just pushed, forced every media outlet to switch to stuff that they can't automatically check, which... Yeah, that that that's been great. That's gone well. Facebook likes a challenge. Well, the, <laughs> that's the, we we imagine it's once again. I mean, I I sort of harp on this quite a bit. These are widely imagined to be sort of neutral arbiters, almost people who've created the pipes of information. 
But it, it seems like everyone constantly forgets that these are marketing firms. They're basically large technological marketing companies that make money on advertising. And it's hard to skip an ad when it's embedded in a video. Fake, no, no. So that was that was one of the bigger problems with the pivot to video. That's right. the reason why it died it was, was because there were no fucking ads. They Facebook they pushed could. Facebook pushed everyone to pivot to video, but then they couldn't work out where to put the ad that wouldn't kill the whole thing. Because if the average video watch is three and a half fucking seconds, you can't put a pre-roll on it and people have already scrolled away before the post-roll. So all the media companies weren't making any money on these videos that had 50 million viewers. Facebook couldn't work out how to put adverts on it. So Facebook pushed away from it. It's it's this it's it's this sort of like ah fuck it let's give it a go approach yeah. that it's move these fast people, and break things yeah. like it's a fucking it's a fucking let's cliche just, to bring it up when criticizing facebook but it is still facebook's fucking attitude to everything including democracy and like social norms what have we broken it, what happened then it's really amazing to know that like the the future of how humans communicate and apparently the future of liberal democracy itself is basically being managed by the guys who put on the fire festival like <laughs> because literally like no, the idea that you're like, well, we'll see what happens. It's like, oh, wow, fascism all over the world. Like, yeah, but you know, you win some, you lose some. And now we know not to do it again. Exactly. It's like, I mean, and I bring this up because I've, my, my wife's family is, uh, is part Portuguese, but she has relatives in Brazil and seeing what's going on in Brazil with um, the extent to which, I mean, the most shared articles on Facebook are still insane right wing, mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. like rage sphere news. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and but seeing what's happening in Brazil where it's far less moderated because why would it be? Why would fucking Facebook invest in Portuguese language moderators? Um, They, uh, that same level of insane fake news bullshit, like viral video, like the racism channel kind of stuff is happening there to disastrous effect. There's, it it looks like tomorrow, maybe in the future when this episode publishes that the full on fascist candidate is going to win. Facebook Brazil is about making meaningful connections with your fascist dictator. But I think the, the thing to remember, though, is that obviously the problem isn't the video and the problem isn't the fake news. Like that's a symptom of a deep like people wouldn't be susceptible to it if they weren't sort of if their lives weren't already hollowed out. And the other thing is that, like, I, I see that Facebook does try to moderate this stuff. Like I, I saw the most just an article that caused me like cringe anarchy, uh, which is Facebook has a war room for keeping the truth. And they're, they're going to make sure that the, we, you know, that we will fight them on the on conservative treehouse dot red pill dot MAGA. But no, but like even then they still are so careful not to say that it's about the truth. They've decided that there is pretty much two categories of truth that they care about that they actually will clamp down on. One is misinformation about actual elections. So like if you lie about the polling station being closed or you lie about the day of the vote, that they'll take down. And the other is the other is impersonation. If you say you are a candidate and you know and, and you're not, they'll take that down. Everything else, even after all of this, they're still like, mm, no, we we don't want to be in the position of judging whether or not there's Latino rape gangs going around New York. That's uh that's a political call and we we want the the marketplace of ideas to solve it. I've also noticed this too because running ads for one of my shows, um, we we got put through the ringer on Facebook to become a certified Ooh, you're registered a advertiser. Because exactly. literally, because I I can't say a socialist podcast without being like, oh, you're a, you're you're a political ad. But then they look at it, their definition of a political ad basically means um, that it's uh, like it's for a politician 
position or it's forced some sort of like po- political position. An and issue. so it's an issue. Exactly. So, so when we try to run an ad, they'd be like, well, no, why is this marked as a political ad? This isn't political content. But then if you oh, run it without the marker, it's like, wait, this is a political ad. This can't be run. And now I don't live in the United States anymore. So now I'm running fake news from abroad. Like, I, <laughs> you know, next thing you know, I'm going to be posting from Macedonia. Um, <laughs> you regress to a teenage exactly. state. Now, and I'm 17 too. And I'm making a ton of money on like my weird Pope stories. That's an, that's an amazing um, uh, Freaky Friday switch. Well, you so know I, where I, they don't regulate what you post? The Plymouth Herald comment section. <laughs> that's the only bastion of free speech left. <laughs> but, but that, that's one of the things that I, I do think, though, also that needs to be brought up is that conservatives hate Facebook because they're convinced that Facebook is persecuting them. Yeah. And so Facebook responds to conservative outrage by glad handing them and then continues to let it shift rightward. And it's not never nothing's going to appease people because they don't operate in good faith. Like, that's not the point. And so it's like, it just seems like we, we've talked about the feed la- feedback loop and a couple issues here. It seems like this is happening again where it's just become, I mean, like, I can't, I, I know we can't necessarily get you on record expressing it, but like my contempt for Facebook is limitless. Like, I think they're the fucking worst. Like, they're, they're, they're more, in my opinion, they, they are more of an amoral company than any of the other tech companies. See, I think, I think that one of the problems that, that uh, fighting Facebook in 2018 faces is that that's such a common view that a lot of people, and I, th- I think I include myself in that, judge efforts to fight Facebook's damage based on whether or not those efforts will destroy Facebook. As in like, you know, am- amongst Facebook critics, uh, regulation that might destroy Facebook is seen as, as good and regulation that might entrench Facebook is seen as bad. And I think that's gonna backfire because it's it's pretty clear now, I think, at least to me, that Facebook is in the position where it needs to be a regulated utility. You know, it's not... It, it, it's it's a big malevolent company, but regulation kind of, you kind of need to assume that it's going to stick around and stop it being shit rather than vainly hope that you can pass regulation, which it won't be able to deal with, which in practice it can, because it's one of those large companies that's got the cash. You know, if, if you pass a real name law, Facebook can comply with that, but little liberal Facebook clone can't comply yeah. with it. Yeah, and, and the real name law doesn't really do anything. It's just like, wow, real names of really, really racist people exactly. who are totally not afraid to be now racist Now Stephen Yaxi Lennon has to be racist. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that would destroy his brand if he had to rebuild all of those uh, fans under a new name. <laughs> under, a, under a name with a double barrel, no less. Exactly. A bit what, posh. But then if he just if he just went to Yaxley Lennon, he'd be like a SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Yaxley. No, he could just be Stephen SL. That's absolutely a SoundCloud rapper yeah. name. <laughs> or Stephen Yl, I can't so, even fucking spell today. So I think the the other, but what that, but like the the pivot to video essentially encapsulates a kind of fuck it, let's do a thing, yeah, um, uh, attitude that the tech sector has. The musical anything does, and, and the other place where I think we get that all the time is just fuck it, put it on the blockchain, put it on the blockchain, put it on the blockchain, put them on the glass, nah, put them on the blockchain, <laughs> um. And, why are, I mean, we say, A, why are we still talking? Is that a Sir Mix-a-Lot reference? Yes. Jesus. <laughs> so we say, like, why are we still talking about it, right? Like, it's it, it, it's sort of fervent coverage as the next big thing in, in the mainstream media has mm. kind of died down because our instrumental variable for is it interesting, i.e., is Bitcoin worth $20,000, that era is sort of passed forever. Those are the biggest... Like we, we, we did our tulip thing. Yeah, I've not heard of Bitcoin in a while. What's he up to these days? Uh, destroying, actually, it's destroying the planet slowly. Yeah, yeah, no, like the, the, it turns out if you build a currency around the idea that people have to burn computing time to be paid for it, then what happens is people burn a lot of computing time and it turns out that energy is what you use to make computing time and so you use the power demands of Ireland no, it's Austria to run the network. 
It's Austria now. I ch- actually, I checked. It you it was Ireland last it was April. Ireland the, okay, it's yeah. Austria now. Well, that's Where a big number because yeah. you know Austrians have a lot of computers that used to be racist online. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, this much computing time has not been used in an Austrian basement since one guy had a massive family in a basement that never left. Oh fuck! Uh. <laughs> so the, the thing is, it's, it's the blo- your reaction to that was far better than the joke itself. Just <laughs> <laughs> a low bar, but you know the um the the thing about this though, right, is that we are. Is that is that if this is the technology, just we'll put it on a distributed ledger that seems to be has the fewest use cases, but the most investment. There's a materialist explanation for why no one ever shuts up about blockchain, which is that what the magic of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies has been is it's taken the rough technological background of the open source movement, which already is is kind of culty, right? It's already a, a movement where people give time voluntarily uh, to, to build software and argue that, you know, that basically e-communism is great. And, it's a gap and, here for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what Bitcoin is, is it's basically as though uh, if you use Linux, you get paid the more other people use Linux. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, is, that is what Bitcoin is. It's a, it's a moderately plausible e-money mm-hmm. with massive, massive inbuilt viral mechanics because your Bitcoin is worth more the more other people use Bitcoin. And Where have I all seen the other this before clubs. as a scheme? Is that, is that a ziggurat scheme? Is that what we call it? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's a roofless trapezoid. Um, but right, like, and this That's is- also and this a is SoundCloud rap. <laughs> <laughs> roofless trapezoid. <laughs> Roofy trapezoid. None of you guys listen to SoundCloud rap. Fuck me. <laughs> Little um, roof. But no, but like, so that, that's the thing is that you, what you end up with is this entire sector of stuff where user number one has as much or more of a desire to get other people on this new cryptocurrency as, as the creators do. Because every single person who comes in is in effect also holding equity in this ridiculous thing, which means that no one shuts up about it because there is no, there's no middle ground. There is no interested amateur. You're either invested in this and promoting it or you don't care. Alex, as a tech reporter, did you find that it was the case or is still the case that people just put blockchain on shit because they knew that it could get press? Uh, they get press and get money. Like, really? absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Sort of, um, you will find one of the interesting things that we've seen over the last year is that a few of the pitches which actually made sense and appeared to solve a useful thing have quietly dropped the blockchain aspect. Like, you you kind of had two categories of pitch. You had the ones which were here is a white paper and an ICO, and those have been pump and dump. Like they they got a shitload of money and they've done nothing. And then you have the ones that are sort of here is our app for trading, fucking uh, hype beast clothing. You know here here is our app and and, it, and it's selling it on the blockchain. And then if it gets a few users, they kind of drop the blockchain because that's a really expensive, inefficient way of running a database. And then they just hype be hype beast eBay. And, and and fine and like that is a niche because there are there are, you know eBay is bad at everything it does and if you can get any niche uh, group of users that are tight enough that you've got supply and demand then brilliant kill eBay do it but I was um, two days ago I was uh, actually won round by the principle of blockchain in use for the first time I was in Paris like I said you've been a tech reporter for how long. Five years. Blockchain has been sort of in the news for how long? Six years. 
And this is the first time. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Yes. So, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about this earlier, actually. Yeah. And yeah, I actually can, I can see, this is the first blockchain project I've ever seen the point of. So you tell so, me about this one, because I have two more that after this. <laughs> <laughs> so this this one is, I was at the um, second Tech Fugees conference, which is broadly uh, well-meaning liberal technologists who got together in 2015 to try and get a movement in their sector to help uh people affected by the refugee crisis to help refugees coming from Syria, to help countries that were taking in lots of refugees uh, deal with the new influx of arrivals. Like, good, well-meaning people. Generally, not that much has come out of it, although there are now more refugees who are CEOs of tech companies than there were three years ago, which is kind of cool, if not a way of enacting systemic change. Um, <laughs> uh, but one of the really interesting things about this one, which was the second one, was the way the tone had changed from last year. Last year, a lot of the stuff was about things like financial inclusion. It was about uh, difficulties of uh, if you're a, a registration desk in a refugee camp and it's all on paper, the paper gets lost, people lose their IDs. So it's all about bringing that into, you know, into databases. It was about small, free smartphone apps that let people uh, get a driver's license and, and good and well-meaning. What's happened in the last year is everyone making those has suddenly sat back and gone, actually, I do not want to build a government database of refugees. This now looks like the kind of thing that could backfire enormously. There was one woman on stage who said, we don't want to build digital yellow stars, which is like quite good self-awareness for this industry, I've got to yeah. say. Like, well, I mean, you think about it, it's unusual. like, wow, it'd be really yeah. great. What if you have all the, all the registration data of all these migrants? Like, oh, and then the Italian government gets their hands on it. Exactly. Hmm, that. how that works. Exactly that. So like, and uh, uh, the yeah. Italians have any history of fascism. I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like a, a, a bit... Uh, not great that it took until 2018 for them for yeah, them to realize sure. that, but you know, uh, better better late than never. And so this is where the blockchain pitch actually made sense, which is what you want is you do still want a digital ID. Paper has downsides. You know, it can get lost, it can get destroyed. It, it's paper. Like, yeah, come on. Um, but you don't want a centralized database. That kind of is the definition of of what blockchain is for: decentralized databases to replace paper transactions and paper records. So the you know the, the various ideas that you have is you don't put identity on the blockchain because that would be public, but you put a cryptographic hash on the blockchain that links back to your private records which you have hashed and signed so that if you show someone your uh, personal record, they can check on the blockchain, make sure it's true, make sure it's not forged, and you have proven digitally that you are a refugee without there being a central database of refugees which kind of makes sense. And it's really annoying because I can't be completely cynical anymore. Like, I, 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 do, I, do I now have to remove my automatic deleting any email that contains the word blockchain from my work inbox, which I do and deletes about 150 emails a day and makes my life livable? Like, oh, wait, no, but then does that mean that now refugees are going to be cooking the planet and thereby ironically <laughs> worsening the refugee crisis? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Ah, oh, fuck me. Well, that's the <laughs> everything is terrible. We, don't worry, I, we can we can rebuild some of that cynicism because I've <laughs> captured a couple uh, here. Um, as we know, HTC has a, a launched its first blockchain phone, which you can only buy with cryptocurrency, which means this is a phone that has a blockchain app on it. It doesn't store your Bitcoin. It doesn't do really anything. Uh, it has somehow affiliated with the blockchain. You can only buy it with Bitcoin or Ethereum. And that means its value wildly fluctuates. It, it currently costs about nine hundred and fifty, about nine hundred, about eight hundred and seventy, about nine hundred, about nine hundred. It's 
<laughs> the time it takes you to type in your pin, the, you will either gain or lose money. Did you ever want every interaction with commerce in your life to be an old timey auction house? Now you can. That's the thing. It's and what I loved about this is like this really goes to the core of what the, what this technology is for people. Phil Chen, HTC's chief decentralized officer, which I assume means he's an AI with several nodes. <laughs> he um, doesn't exist in one place. <laughs> said basically, and here's the thing, he basically admitted that it didn't work, they didn't know what to do with it, but they're doing it anyway. Quote, we are openly inviting the community and potential partners who share our vision to collaborate with us to bring in more applications and to help new users understand the technology. This should be a collaborative work with the whole blockchain community to help expand the ecosystem. It doesn't do anything. It's not our fault. You do it. This is what happens when wow. you sell your entire phone division to Google and then carry on trying to make phones. It turns yeah. out you've sold all your good people. <laughs> and now oh, you, you yeah. have one guy who's what, just... <laughs> one guy who's like, what if we put an Android uh, blockchain wallet on a phone and sold it for an indeterminate amount of money to people with too much fake money? Because I think... And, and the net, and right is it's... They do, it doesn't do anything. It's not their fault. They don't know what it's going to do. And you see... The other thing, with we, even with Brexit, I say, well, because we see... Um, I remember at the Conservative Party conference, speaking about the Northern Ireland problem, which, to clarify for American listeners, is that Ireland has been partitioned into the Republic of Ireland, which is the sort of Republic of Ireland, and then Northern Ireland. Ireland, uh, the country Ireland, that's a member of the EU that wants to yeah. stay a member of the EU. Correct. Northern Ireland, a part of the UK that's not going to be part of the EU anymore, Precisely. thereby a hard border. And the thing that, and the part of the big thing that stopped the war between these, uh, these two areas a sort of the troubles a war between war, but Southern this, and Northern Ireland. That's not it no. Was, it was it was the troubles. It was a time of conflict well, no, it between. Was more, it was more the the. the all right, my, my, can, can one of the people who's actually from the UK do it? Because I'm, oh, I'm going to fuck. fuck no. I'm going to fuck it up. Milo, can you do it? I okay, kind of know. I'm going to preface this with I'm not an expert on Ireland. Yeah. I'm going to. Which posh Southern English person should explain yeah. the troubles? Because <laughs> that's so much less of a hot button issue <laughs> than the North Americans. I'm just going to try it. and give it a rough and dispassionate overview. So uh, you know, Britain Britain invaded Ireland a few hundred years ago, and we we kind of. We fucked a lot of shit up there. You know, we, we killed a lot of people. We did a lot of bad things. Um, but one of the one of the hangovers of that was that some people in Ireland kind of became Protestant, as I understand it. More and some people from Scotland went to yep, Ireland. They and colonized Ireland. Irish. Yeah. Like Scottish Presbyterians colonized Ireland and then like. Yeah, but also everyone of- in Scotland is ethnically Irish. So that <laughs> that is like another weird. So like Irish people actually went back to Ireland from <laughs> Scotland. Anyway, because the the Irish went to Scotland and killed all the Picts who used to live in Scotland. And then anyway, this is it. <laughs> Okay, so how far back we go to understand the troubles? We need to go back to 500 AD. About the time that King Cannon was trying to fight the ocean. (laughs) Cannon? I mean, actually... It is is legitimately true. It would not be a wanky thing to say that to understand the troubles, you need to go back to 500 AD. Because like realistically, Dane Law does kind of start affecting this. And so in fact, this is enough of an introduction to say that, that Philip Hammond, speaking at the Conservative Party conference, said maybe blockchain will solve it. Yeah. Basically, the troubles is one of the few genuinely both sides issues. Um, <laughs> so, but he says, but Philip Hammond aims to solve this issue that goes back like more than a millennium. And he says, because he says there is technology becoming available, said Philip Hammond when asked about solutions to the border problem, because one of the things that finally created some stability in the region was that Northern Ireland, the UK and Republic of Ireland, the like. Of Ireland were integrated by the EU. You could they so were basically Catholic Irish people yeah. in Northern well, no, Ireland. We were integrated before the EU, and then the EU overtook that. But I think the point the point that you're coming to here is really valid, Riley, which is that the, the 
the Good Friday Agreement created a situation in Northern Ireland that it, that has dissipated most of the tension to the point where people aren't worried about there being um, literal violence between yeah, like parties. It, it's it's worth saying to American readers, uh, readers, yeah. Some of you, uh, if it's a text, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's worth saying to American listeners that like um, growing up in Britain before about 1997 was uh, something that would have broken the American psyche. Like there were bombs somewhere in the UK most months. Uh, a lot of them were in Northern Ireland, but even the rest of Britain, what yeah. didn't get out of this? Well, they were frequently. Yeah, well, I was so going to say the 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 Gherkin got built on a it was on a building that was bombed in like 1992, I think. So I like when I grew up, there was a mysterious figure who was known as the West London Bomber because it there seemed to be an IRA affiliated bomber who focused on West London. Hammersmith Bridge was bombed. The BBC was bombed, and like these were this is my neighbourhood, and mm. it's like. There are still not bins on the tube because the IRA had a habit of putting bombs in bins. It's it's very much affected like the geography of the IRA didn't our believe country. in littering. Say what you will about the IRA. <laughs> <laughs> and so and the Good Friday Agreement depends ended on that. their Yeah, the Good Friday Agreement ended that. And the Good Friday Agreement depends on there being a kind of frictionless um sort of way to sort of get goods and people across this sort of faux border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. So basically and Republicans in Northern Ireland can go to Southern Ireland with no problem and pe- Ulster Unionists can, believe, can be like, no, we're still a separate country. Yeah, and, exactly. the, and essentially Brexit is going to make that impossible, which is the Northern Ireland problem, yes. which is, well, how do we avoid getting a hard border between the EU and us when what we want is a hard border between the EU and us? I mean, I just remember this very clearly because I'm, I'm 34. When I was 13, I was the same age as one of the kids that was killed in the Omagh bombings. Mm. Like, yeah. it's recent enough that it's a huge problem. So the idea that's when we like, oh, here's this massive problem going back literally to like the fucking 500 AD and their solution is the blockchain. Yeah. And that Philip Hammond said, there is technology becoming available. I don't claim to be an expert on it, but the most obvious technology is blockchain. And we say, well, the most obvious is a great yeah. use of words. It's not the best. It's not the most appropriate, <laughs> but it is certainly the most Look, obvious. That's the thing. It's, I think what blockchain does is it takes a problem like social trust, national interest, or even sexual consent, and it pretends that that problem is not even political. It's technical. Meanwhile, what if it was cooking Africa? That's what we're asking about. The meanwhile, the largest blockchain company in the world has just relocated its EU headquarters from London to Dublin because they do not believe yeah. that blockchain will solve Brexit. <laughs> yeah. So they are preparing. But they're saying that like the that the, essentially the, the problem of the Northern Ireland problem by sort of evoking blockchain, they can say, well, this is a problem of customs arrangements. It's mm. not that we have espoused a fundamental contradiction. It's like, no, we just need to refine need it technology. enough. Technology can resolve a thing that can't actually be resolved yeah. in politics. Yeah. Because like The what- Tories have now gotten to a point where they're literally disputing the rules of formal logic. They're going, well, wait, what if we can have P and not P? Like, <laughs> literally, like, no, that's not like, how things work. What could this possibly do? What could this possibly do? What could he possibly mean? Like, I... The the general Tory approach to this has been to argue that the problem that you are trying to solve, it's not the regulatory hard border, it is the physical infrastructure of a hard border. So what they're trying to suggest is that if you remove all of the physical infrastructure and replace it with magic digital infrastructure, that there is not technically a hard border even though there is. So for instance, if you whack RFID chips on all of the stuff that's coming over and have a nice big RFID reader underneath the road so that all of the trucks zoom over and their goods are automatically registered and checked and then the RFID chips are written to the blockchain so that it's decentralized, then you can automatically enforce the border without having someone at the checkpoint. 
which wouldn't work, would be too much money, and would be just completely irrelevant anyway, because, like, how would you make someone put the... Wait, so, like, if you drove a truckload of cocaine across this mythical Irish border, there would just be, like, a Microsoft paperclip would come up and be like, it Hi. seems like you're smuggling cocaine. <laughs> would you like to pull over and speak to the guard? Oh, no, no, you've gone. <laughs> I also think that if such a solution existed, you'd probably already see it in a place like Switzerland. And you don't because it doesn't exist. Right. Mm. Like there are, you know, generally speaking, the closest you get to a uh, digital border is a lot of cameras that record number plates. And like, that's good if all you want to do is just record sort of how much traffic is going in and out. It doesn't really do much more than that. And if you want a hard border between, you know, a hard border and a customs border where you need to vet the provenance of every single fucking cow that crosses the border in a country where there are fields that go on both sides of the border... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't really help. Oh Wait. fuck! We didn't count on the fields. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, cow! No, come back here. Where's your passport? Unheard. And so, whether whether you're sort of just whether you're trying to make a marketing pitch for why your startup should exist, or whether you're trying to sort of ha- do a, a sort of bit of political hand waving, like all of this, just fuck it. Let's just. Let's pivot to we'll, video. Let's put we'll, it on the blockchain. Let's do it and be it's, legends. Yeah, it's really just a way of saying, don't worry about this problem. Watch the birdie, watch the birdie, watch mm-hmm. the birdie. It's it's a trick. Yeah. It's a con. Like fundament, like in, in a really boring tech way, the blockchain is basically a replacement for fucking Amazon Web Services. Like 90% of the time, it's just a cloud, but a decentralized cloud rather than a normal cloud. You don't tend to hear pitches that are like, Amazon Web Services is core to why our product... Because if someone's talking about the fucking cloud service provider they're using, they probably don't have anything else to say. <laughs> and much and just like the Tory party, probably don't have much else to say. Damn, he went there. <laughs> Insulting the Tory party, how could you, Riley? That is a controversial view in this crowd. I, I know that, uh, I mean, we, we've, we've kind of gone back and forth, but I do think that's, that that really does make a very forceful point in the sense that, like, this is a weird kind of worship of technology. It, it worships um, the, I don't know, the, the, the idea that a, that a problem is solved by a nifty or like novel new thing as opposed to acknowledging that the problem is you know, multivariable. And I mean, I'm not going to say, okay, I'm not attempting to say Facebook pivot to video and blockchain for the Irish border are the same. But I think that faith in technology, I think that credulousness, and I think that more importantly, that total disregard for consequence until it's absolutely in your face is is a thing that is just emerging as a theme of our time. And also, that's the thing that scares me. Also the belief that technology is fundamentally apolitical. That like yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, that so. you know, and you, you, you see this sense of how technology is governed in the UK government still, that DCMS is seen as an apolitical job where the, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, and that is digital used as a noun. He is in charge of digital. Who's the current minister? Jeremy uh yeah, Jeremy Wright. Okay. Uh, it used to be Matt Hancock, the the oh we yes. well, we cool, love we very awesome <laughs> the cool reimagined George Osborne second in command. What if George Osborne was a geography teacher sitting backwards on the chair? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas it's now like an incredibly stuffy former lawyer who is clearly in over his head. And like credit to the man, he hasn't yet just gone bleeps and bloops. <laughs> speak to my underlings. We've gone for a little while. None of us have had lunch yet. I, I think it's time to eat before we bum ourselves out. Um, I, I vote for the fact that we both have lunch and don't have lunch, which might seem impossible, but with the power of the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, so, per usual, you can. we have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it for $5 a month and get the second episode. Uh, I recommend it. If you want to debate us, you can debate Hussein for $25. Um, 
we have you a live show. Ten or fifteen, and you get whatever. Some shit. We yeah. give you some shit. We'll figure some. We'll figure something Free tickets out. tickets to the live show. Um, if you if you if it's today, come to the live show that you're listening yeah. to it. If it's after Stop what you are doing, if it's after October thirtieth, I'm afraid you've missed it. Given Maybe. my podcast backlog, I will be listening to this in February. So, hi, future me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, otherwise, I'm going to say uh, you can commodify your descent with a t shirt from Little Comrade, of course. Uh, yeah. Maybe something, maybe you can buy a t-shirt on the blockchain. You can decentralize your t-shirt. You can have one sleeve in the kitchen, one sleeve in the bathroom. You can have your, the body of it in the back garden. You can be the head of decentralized. You can be the head of decentralized for a little comrade. You have a decentralized head. Uh, and like I'm going to be a serial drama. killer and just call myself like, no, 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 don't arrest me. I'm just the head of decentralization. Oh, wait. Um, <laughs> also, uh, Akko on Broadway Market will give me a free lunch if I plug them on the show. This is different from the other hucksterism for reasons that I won't go into. <laughs> Riley just loves a lunch. I really uh, love a lunch. Also, if you are listening to this after October the 30th, on the 7th of November, uh, there's going to be another edition of, uh, of Smoke Smoke Comedy, which I run at the Seckford, which is at the same place as the live show. So you don't even have the excuse of not knowing where it is. I mean, it, um, it will still be happening if you're listening to it before October 30th. It's not some weird condition. <laughs> <laughs> but who plans more than a week in advance? No one, Alex. No one. <laughs> anyway, Alex, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thank it's, you for having always, me for the third time. It's always it's a pleasure. A, always a nice to get a three-peat. <laughs> mm. All right. Thanks, everyone. Later. Later.